Everybody, hold on just a second. All right, here we go. So sorry, guys. I uh, showed up a couple minutes late, and that's what I get. A little bit of technical difficulty, so thank you so much for hanging out, waiting for me. We are going to talk a little bit more about raising private capital. And I told Cody actually to take the night off, just FYI, um, letting you guys know that Cody will not be here tonight. I told him, hey, you know what? It's Super Bowl Sunday. Not a lot of people are going to show up. Most people are going to be with their friends, family, enjoying all of that stuff. And I will talk about raising private capital and any questions people have about creative finance by myself. So welcome to the show. Today is February 7th. Sorry for the technical difficulties right out of the gate. Um, Kelly is telling me um, what's not working, my mic and my camera and all that kind of stuff. Thank you so much, Kelly. I appreciate you. Um, again, jumped in. I usually should show up 10 minutes early right? I should show up 10 minutes early and test all my stuff out. And I didn't do that today. So um, Jordan Cook says, I'm here. F the Super Bowl. Actually, my wife goes, hey, you're going to do Sunday service tonight? And I go, yeah, why wouldn't I? And she says, it's the Super Bowl. I'm like, oh, amazing. Um, There you go. Darren Talcott. Uh, Darren, by the way, I, I want to hear about your deal. I know that you've just recently gotten a deal under contract. I want to hear all about that. Um. Who won the Super Bowl? Is it over, by the way? Does anybody actually know who won the Super Bowl? And is it still going or is it is it over? Anyway, let's jump into it, guys. Um, so we've got about 150 people here, which is way more than I expected on Super Bowl Sunday. So thank you guys so much. Um, please, everybody's commenting. I love that. Please share it. Please let everybody know that we're going to be talking about raising private capital today. Last week, we talked about raising private capital and we had like 425, almost 450 people watching live. I feel like it was an amazing show. Who got value out of last week's show? And if so, what was the number one thing that you took away from last week's show? Um, I, I We had never focused on having topics as the as like the full show. And I think we're leaning towards going that direction because what happens is we end up going all over the place. So when somebody wants to go back and they want to find an answer to a question or they want to deep dive into one topic, it's so stinking hard for them to find their answer, right? So I think we're leaning towards going an hour and a half, primarily about one topic or one guest as this show continues to evolve. And, um, you know, I even had thoughts about not having it as Sunday service for a while. Um, you know, let me remind everybody where Sunday service originally came from. It was about a year and a half ago, maybe 20 months ago. Cody and I had just recently partnered together and we were getting a lot of people asking us so many questions that we said, you know what, man, let's do, let's do a weekly call. And it was literally like the only thing Cody and I had going on at the time, at least between the two of us, I had other businesses going, which I still own those businesses. 
But um, at the time, Cody and I were only working on one business together. It was our wholesale operation and uh, starting to buy uh, deals creatively at the time. And um, I was teaching Cody creative finance at the time. So I was going to his condo and we were going through, um, you know, sub two and seller finance. And I was taking him on appointments and I was teaching all that kind of stuff to him. So this is 20 months ago, right? Um, and Cody and I got so many questions through our Instagram and whatnot that we decided let's have a, like a call on Tuesdays. So we went to like freeconferencecall.com. We got a conference call number and for four months, oh my gosh, I was amazed. We would have a hundred to 150 people show up to a freaking conference call. Like didn't even realize that StreamYard, which is the software we're using right now was a thing. Even, didn't even realize that I could just stream through YouTube. And again, that just is a testament. We never thought about this as like becoming influencers or doing any sort of coaching or anything like that. We just had so many people asking us questions, especially me about creative finance, that it put me in a situation where I was like, man, I can't answer these questions all week long. So I just started directing people to showing up to this Tuesday call. And I remember the first call we ever had with, with Cody. It was free conference call, by the way, is trash. So the reception is horrible. You can't hear each other. It's limited. Like people, you know, they're on their phone. It's like a podcast on the phone. Oh my gosh, it was so bad. I can't even believe we thought that was a good idea. But the reality is it was a good idea. It essentially put us on the map and, and got us to a point where we started working through the, the, the weird, weird issues of having a podcast. And so ultimately, this is even a worse decision, but here's what we did. It got to a point where a conference call was going to, a free conference call was going to start charging us money because now we had like 200 people showing up to this thing called Sunday service. And we never came up with the name. I came up with the name because it was on Tuesday nights for a while. And then finally, we just got so busy with our business that the only time that we could get together is that Cody and I would start meeting each other on Sundays as business partners and say, hey, let's sit down as business partners. Let's plan out our week. So that's a tip for anybody that's, a, you know, you're in business. Like we would find the time right before um, my kids would go to bed on Sunday night. And that was the only time Cody and I sat down and planned. He would come over to my house. We'd whiteboard things out. We'd say, all right, here's your task for the week. Here's my task for the week. And we would get to it. And then we would find each other late Tuesday night doing this conference call thing. And one night I just go, you know what, man, why don't we just consolidate it? We're already together. Let's just consolidate it and start doing um, the show on Sunday and get rid of it on Tuesday because Tuesday, like, dude, come on. And so we moved it to Sunday, but here was the biggest challenge we had with moving it to Sunday. We didn't, we still didn't know about StreamYard. I still didn't have a YouTube channel. I still, you know, whatever. I had, I think, 20,000 followers on Instagram at the time. So it was still a decent amount of people. So I told Cody, let's just go on Instagram live. Like literally, let's just go live on Instagram and that'll be our show. And we never thought about making it a podcast. The entire thought process behind where we are today was originally and still is to this day, just answering questions for people. That's all this, you know, started out as. Now, we did buy a lot of deals from people here locally when we were doing the free conference call days. But what's happened is the 
Sunday service podcast has now gone nationwide. And so we get close to 10,000 people watch it. Um, we get a lot of people on Spotify and iTunes now listening to it, which is amazing to me. A lot of people going back to YouTube and rewatching the replay, which again is amazing to me. But we started doing it on Instagram live like a bunch of idiots because there was no, why, why was it stupid? Why was that a stupid idea? Is because nobody could go back and listen to it. It was on Instagram stinking live. And it was before you could take a live and post it as an IGTV. So we would just go live and we'd go live for like two hours and we would answer people's questions as they were popping up. And it was fun for like a month. And then it just got so draining because we didn't feel like we could really deliver what we needed to deliver to people. And we were still getting all the questions outside of Sunday service. So anyway, um, about a year ago, maybe a year and three months ago, Jamil and I traveled to Birmingham, Alabama for an influencers conference. And I meet this guy named uh, Ty the Flipman. Um, a lot of you guys might know him. He has a really big YouTube presence. Uh, lovely, lovely hum human being. And I looked at his YouTube subscribers and I'm like, wow, this guy like is doing something right. And I, at the time, didn't even have a YouTube. So I went up to Ty. I had a conversation with him. He asked me what was I doing. And I told him about Sunday service. And he goes, okay, cool. So you're streaming that on YouTube, I imagine. I go, no, I'm doing that on Instagram live. He's like, what? How dumb do you have to freaking be? How dumb do you have to be to be streaming this on Instagram live, right? So um, ultimately happened is he taught me about StreamYard. And here I am, This the software that we're currently using right now is called StreamYard. For anybody that's looking to stream their own podcast, what's cool about this is this streams to five different locations right now. So I have about 200 people watching live, which is about twice as many as I thought were going to show up on Super Bowl Sunday. But um, it goes to um, two Facebook groups and two YouTube channels. And then it goes to um, another like private location with only like 10 people. Um, but StreamYard was amazing because then what we were able to do is we were able to start posting on YouTube and we were able to start having it stay there on YouTube and realize that people actually cared about the show. So here's what happens. January, 2020. Okay. January, 2020. Jamil comes on the show. It was like right after I figured out how to go from Instagram live to StreamYard. And Jamil comes on the show. It was amazing. We had not like 880 live viewers. So like four times more than what we had right now. And you might ask yourself, well, why, why, what happened to those viewers? What happened? Well, COVID happened. And we went off the air for like a good three or four months. I wasn't doing Sunday service for a very long time because I was traveling around the country in my Airstream with my family and all sorts of stuff. But anyway, back to the story with Jamil. So Jamil comes on the show. It was epically amazing. Yo, Ryan Harper, thank you for the super chat. I just made $2.99. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you so much. Um, I probably owe you money, Ryan, to be honest. So thank you. Um, anyway, so Jamil comes on the show. It was amazing. We had like 880, 900 followers, like right, or some, like live viewers right there on the show. And um, Jamil calls me two days later. And he says, dude, I have never had so much fun on a podcast as, uh, as I did on your guys' podcast. You know, being able to be live and see people's comments and, you know, communicate with them directly 
was just so much more fun than I really planned on. I want to start my own podcast and I'm wondering if you would help me. And I go, yeah, man, what's your thought? And he goes, I want it just about wholesale. I want it just about wholesale. I go, great. And he goes, and I want it to be where people can call us live. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, um, um, that adult show, what was that with, uh, Dr. Drew, um, something live. I can't remember what it was called, but it was like, people would call in late night on MTV and he's like, yes, that's exactly it. Like, just like that show. I want people, people to be able to call in and I, I, I don't know what it is. I go, so it's kind of like a hotline. And he's like, yeah. And I go hotline bling. He's like, oh my gosh, I love it. So we thought about, he came up with wholesale hotline. I came up with the theme of like wholesale hotline um, in terms of hotline bling. We, we made the color pink and Jamil and I did two shows. And then we just felt like we were missing a part of the wholesale operation because for me, um, you know, I don't teach scripts and I don't teach all that kind of stuff because I, I teach people how to convert. And we realized we were missing Brent. We were t- missing Brent Daniels. And so third show into Wholesale Hotline, we invite Brent Daniels in and it was like, boom, magic happened. And so far we've now, uh, Jamil, Brent and I, I believe tomorrow is our 51st episode together. So that will be one year in two weeks. I'm sorry, a week from tomorrow will be our one year anniversary of Wholesale Hotline. And it all came from a couple of guys, Cody and I saying, we should do a free conference call. We should do this Instagram live thing. Then I went to Birmingham and learned about this and you know, I don't know everything. I don't, I'm not an influencer. I haven't been doing this for a long time. I've been doing real estate investing for a long time, but just not influencing. So um, I appreciate you guys coming. I appreciate you guys hanging out and, and following this journey with us. All we really want to do is provide massive value to you. So thank you so much. Um, I'm seeing a lot of comments right now with you guys saying, I hope you're feeling better. Um, COVID, I'm so surprised I hadn't had COVID all year long for a whole year, this thing's been around and I have not been sick. Um, So we're going to jump into raising private capital. Remember guys, if you missed last week's episode, it was an hour and a half straight on just raising private capital. Um, I did have a couple of knuckleheads come in and they were like, why, why do you, why are you not jumping into creative finance right away? I'm like, man, you got to do intro. You got to talk to people. You got to say, hi, we can't just jump in right out of the gate. Right? So thank you so much for letting me go on for about 20 minutes. King Edward has a really good question. Pace, random question. Do all of your buy and holds come from creative financing? And if so, how many do you acquire on average per year? Um, King Edward, 100% 100% of my um, buy and hold homes are coming from creative finance, either subject to or seller finance. If you guys want, I'll pull up a, a couple of deals that I'm closing on this week. I'll show you where the private capital is coming from, um, the cash flow on those, the addresses. I'll show you all, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, 100%. I will never buy another property except maybe my own personal home as we upgrade and upgrade. Um, I will never buy another home through Burr strategy or going down and getting a loan ever again. I will never do it. You can never convince me that it's a good idea. Never. You'll never convince me it's a good idea. 
ever. Um, oh, and how many do we acquire per year? I would say we acquire um, on average between Cody and myself, uh, we average one rental per week. So 50 a year. Uh, most people are trying to buy one or two a year. We're buying one a week. Um, in fact, we just got, let's see here. Cody sent me an address. They actually sent me five addresses, five houses we just got under contract, seller finance, 5%. Um, let me pull them up, see when we're closing on those. Ooh, yeah. I'll, show, I'll even show this to you guys. I have no, no shame in my game. Da, 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 da. Okay. So we are working with one seller right now. And we are buying, I think we're buying a little over a hundred property. Or no, I'm sorry, 50 properties from her over the course of the next six months. All right, let's check it out. So you'll see right here, um, let's make this a little bit bigger if we can. about as big as I'm going to get, I guess. So um, we have five houses. We are paying full retail. Okay. Well, not full retail. Check it out. So 6009 West Wood Street. Zillow says it's 256. We are paying 245, $10,000 down. So think about that. $10,000 down at 245. You're at a 4% down payment, something like that. Um, then five-year balloon with the buyer having the option to extend if loan is in good standing. So sometimes you'll get sellers that say, um, I don't want to go past five years unless you're in good standing. So we put that in there. Um, our payment to her is 868, 30-year amortization, 2% interest rate, um, which is great because check it out. Cody actually wrote this all that down for me. So underwriting, $1,000 per year on taxes. So it's $83. $700 a year in um, insurance, that's $58 a month, $74 HOA, um, $1,083 a month all in pre-lender, and then a $20,000 private money lender payment. Okay, so check that out. Okay, check that out. Um, and it rents for $1,500 plus. Okay, so this is a typical deal for us. Okay. Um, Let's go through this one more time. There's the address. So I'm, in, I'm in contract on the house. You guys can try and call the seller all you want. Good freaking luck. There's always going to be one asshole that tries to call the seller and like pull up the address, but we're buying all our houses. We've been working with her for over a year, so good luck. But um, So Zillow says it's worth $256. we are paying $245. I'm going to go through this one more time because so many people just do not understand this. Um, we're putting $10,000. So pre-lender. Jeanette says, what's pre-lender? So you see right here, Jeanette says that we've, we're going to raise $20,000 for a private money loan. So PML or private money lender, private money loan. So we're going to put $20,000 together for this loan. Okay. And remember, this is all one deal right here. I've got multiple deals that we're under contract on as well, but this is just one house we're under contract on. Okay. So 6009 West Wood Street. Zillow says it's 256. We're buying it for 245, putting $10,000 down. That's it. How cool is that? No credit whatsoever. So where's that $10,000 coming from, Jeanette? 
that $10,000 is going to come from our private money lender. Okay. So let's, let me bring this over here and let's, um, let me text this to myself because this might be beneficial for you guys. We'll, we'll kind of go through this. And uh, I'll break this down. We'll break it down in a very easy to understand way because a lot of people need to know this. Do, do, do. All right, cool. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Let me take him off. Ayara says, I sent you text messages through Jammy. So Ayara, if you need to communicate with me, um, either communicate with me through Kelly Hanno or communicate with me through Instagram DMs. Um, I don't, I'm not really on Facebook that often, to be honest. Okay. So check it out. Sorry. Um, so pre-lender, let's see. You have a right team in place, take a leave, make sure you're not running out of trust in yourself. Okay, cool. So do you set money aside for vacancy repairs um, and cap? I think you're saying CapEx and factor that into your underwriting. Rohit Das, it's um, 100%. That would be a really, really bad idea if I did not, right? The answer is yes, okay? So check this out. This deal is... This is the address here, 6009 West Wood Street. Zillow's the purchase price, 256. Let me ask you guys a question. Do I really care what the price of the house is? Do I really care? No, I don't. And I'll tell you why. There's always these analytical engineer type that worry about houses that are worth, let's say, $200,000, and they feel like you got to buy them at 160, right? The reality is, guys, let's be, let's be real. If you, buy a, if you buy a property in 2007, hypothetically, that was worth $200,000 and you paid $160,000 for that property in 2007, fast forward two years, what do you think that property was worth? I'd say it was probably worth $80,000 or less. So the reality to me, it never has and it never will make a, a difference whatsoever to me based on the equity of the situation. Now, again, I buy, I'm buying this property with a little bit of equity. It's not like I'm not overpaying for the property, but a lot of people worry about the equity play because that's what they've been trained to believe. The main thing you really care about is you care about your ability to cash flow. Okay, and I'm going to walk through something with you guys. So I care about my ability to cash flow because guess what? In 2008, now that property is worth $80,000 or less. But guess what? And now in 2020, that property is worth two hundred and twenty. But that entire time, that entire 13-year time frame, I cash flowed. I got depreciation. I was able to... Um, obviously take uh, tax benefits and all that kind of stuff from the property during that entire time. And more important than anything else, 
is this $160,000 purchase price I paid for in 2007, it was paid down over 13 years as well. My tenants paid that down over 13 years. Okay. So yes, purchase price is very important. You don't want to overpay for a property and just say, I'm, I'll pay a million dollars for a hundred thousand dollar house. I get that. But the reality is the main thing you want to do is you want to buy a property based on its ability to cash flow. Okay. And I am getting to the private money lending part for the people that are impatient about that. Okay. So I buy the property for 245. Cool thing is I have no credit requirement. The seller is my lender, right? This is a seller finance deal, creative finance. How much credit is used? Zero. How much credentials, right? So what are credentials? Credentials are, let's say a W-2, it's job history, right? It's, um, how about experience? A lot of times you're, if you go out and you try and get a loan with a bank, the bank's going to ask you, what's your experience? How many deals have you done? What's your portfolio? All of that kind of stuff. They're going to ask you about your seasoned assets or seasoned cash. I have never, I have never bought a property where a seller has ever asked me for even a copy of my bank statements. They've never asked me for a proof of funds. Now, when I'm doing wholesale, for some freaking reason, when we do wholesale deals, our sellers, yes, sometimes can ask for a proof of funds. But when we're doing seller finance, the reality is the seller wants their $10,000 down payment. That gives them the security that they really are looking for. And that's all we care about. Okay. Now, what does the five-year balloon mean? Five-year balloon is, uh, what that means is that the seller will give me terms. So let's say today is the day of, first day of my loan. Over the course of 30 years, the seller will give me a 30-year payment plan. But a five-year balloon says, hey, you have to pay it off at five years. So even though you have payment plan for 30 years, at the end of five years, they want all of these 25 years in one check. That's a five-year balloon. Now with us, with, with uh, June, the seller on this particular property, is what she really cares more about is she says, look, I just don't want you guys anywhere in these first five years to default and have to play catch up with, their pay with your payments. Because you, you know, I, I just don't want to deal with it. So if you default at any point and you have a late payment at any point during these first five years, I have the ability to force you to pay me off at the end of five years. But the way that we came back and told her is he said, no, we want, we want the buyer to have that option. As long as we're in good standing, we want to execute our ability to extend that further and further and further every single five years. Okay. Hopefully that makes sense to everybody. Hopefully I didn't go over that too fast. Now, I, I'm putting $10,000 down, which means that the remaining, pay, the remaining balance is $235,000. My payment to the private money lender is $868.61. Now, I do have a spreadsheet for this, but I don't really share with anybody but the sub two students. So I'm not going to go through my spreadsheet that usually calculates all this stuff for me. I'm going to just keep it simple on this whiteboard today. So yeah, there's my 861 or $868 payment. Now, what most people are going to do here, and this is why somebody, um, he's an engineer. I can guarantee he, the one that asked me that question, he's an engineer. They're going to ask, well, you're not cash flowing a lot. 
you're not cash flowing, right? You're, and we're going to get to that. People that are really smart are already looking at the numbers. People that are doing deals are like, well, what about CapEx? What about, um, what about vacancy? What about repairs? What about all the bull crap that you have to deal with? That's not taken into consideration. You're correct. I will show you all of that here shortly. So chill, 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 chill. Okay. Now, our private money lender is going to come in. So we, we know that not only do we have our $868 payment to the, to the bank, and the bank is our lender. Uh, Rohit says, I'm not. I own a marketing agency. Got it. Okay, no problem. Um, typically, that's an engineer-minded question, and I totally get it, and I love it. So I'm not, it's not a critical comment of mine at all. I'm just making an observation that most of the time that somebody asks that question, they're very, very good at details. Okay, So I've got $868 that goes to the bank. That would be June, the seller. She's my bank for the next 30 years. Now, June won't make it for 30 years. So obviously, she has a son or she has an estate. In this situation, June actually has a son. Okay, um, June has a son that will take over these payments even when June passes away. Okay, So I've got $868. Then Cody comes in here. He says, hey, we got a $1,000 tax bill right here every single year. So we're going to add that on top of it. Then we've got a 700 a year mortgage uh, premium, or I'm sorry, insurance premium of $58 per month. So we got to add that on top of there. Then we've got a $74 a month HOA. That sucks. HOAs suck, but whatever. So all in this number, before we go and raise any private capital, is $1,083 pre-lender. Now, what Cody's talking about is that he's got this little calculation over here on the left-hand side, you see. It's $20,000 for a private money lender. Okay, $20,000 for a private money lender. What does that actually mean? What is, what is, what is $20,000 for? $20,000 is for this. Remember, what do we give the seller? We gave the seller. Actually, I have this new thing I want to try. Let's see. Boom. Yes, I love that. That's freaking awesome. So we, we gave the private money lender, or I'm sorry, the seller's getting their $10,000 down payment. So $10,000 down payment. Where's the other 20 grand going? Okay, where's the other 20 grand or the other 10 grand going? Well, we're going to say $3,500 is going to be closing costs then the property does not need to really be renovated too much. Um, but we are paying $5,000 assignment fee to a wholesaler who brought the deal to us. And then we've got about $1,500 of miscellaneous utilities, et cetera, before we get that property um, rented out. We can rent, we can, the house is actually currently vacant. So we plan on marketing for rent like right away. Now, when Cody and I looked at this deal, this, so this, guys, this is where the 20 grand comes from. Does everybody understand where the 20 grand is coming from? Okay, cool. So our average lender right now, Cody always, um, before we have a lender commit to a deal, Cody always just puts a standard amount in there for 10% because our average lender is at 10%. What does that mean? That means every year, 
our private money lender will get a check for $2,000 divided by 12 monthly payments. So what is that payment, guys? Let's work that out real quick. Cody already worked it out, but I want to do it while we're here live. $20,000 um, times 0.1, which is 10%, divided by 12. So my payment to the private money lender is $166.66. Boom. So that's how we calculate. <laughs> Kelly says, let me fund that deal. King Edward, what do you mean? How is the private money lender structured? King Edward, I would love to get you on here and we can maybe chat about it. Let me invite you to this to the deal. Um, King Edward, I'm gonna I'm gonna put the link to the show right here in the comments. I would love for you to jump in here. We can chat about it, kind of go through it. Um, so right there it says streamyard.com and then has a bunch of funky things. Come on here. I'd love to have a conversation with you so we can. I can understand that question because whenever somebody says, how is it structured? That's actually not a great question. It's so ambiguous. Are you asking how long? How did I convince the seller to the, the private money lender to come on board? There's like 25 different directions I can go with that. So I'd love to get you on the show and we can answer that question specifically. So um, this lender actually has not been committed yet. Okay, So Cody's always going to throw in a standard 10%. What's been happening is more and more of our long-term lenders. So we have two types of lenders. We have a long-term lender, lenders that say, "I don't, man, I don't care how long I have my money with you guys. Five years, ten years, I really don't care, as long as I have the option to get it back with a ninety-day um, heads up." Okay, so that's usually how we structure that. We tell people five years is what we'd really like to have your money for. And if you say that you have a wedding that pops up, Mr. Lender, and you need to pay for that wedding for your daughter or whatever, and you need that money out of that deal, give us a 90-day heads up and we'll replace you with a different lender, okay? So that's how we structure that specifically. But King Edward, I just gave you the link. So if you want to jump in here, please do. I'd love to have you in here. Um, so Cody throws that in there, but the reality is most of our lenders now are starting to be at 8% long-term. Okay, I have one lender on my long-term side that has about $45 million. He's an attorney and he is at 8% and he is amortized. What does amortized mean, guys? It means over the course of 30 years, we will actually pay him down, Okay. So he has an 8% payment. I believe Gary's going to be the one that's going to be funding this deal, but we don't have confirmation quite yet. So Cody just throws in a standard 10% because he's smart. And he knows that um, he's just throwing these numbers in before we actually close on the deal. So we just need 20 grand. Cody's putting $20,000 together at 10%. So when you have this $20,000 at 10%, the payment is $166 to that lender every single month, worst case scenario. Okay, so Cody is always going to be um, looking for a worst case scenario while we're doing an underwrite. Okay, so our payment, let's add that together, is now $1,000. I think either Cody was off or I was off, but basically the payment all in is $1,250 per month, roughly. Okay. 
Hector, uh, let's see. Amy Turnbaugh says, um, yeah, I te I, we teach a lot of people this. Amy, um, I'll, I'll come back to what I was talking about. But yeah, we give our contractors about $2,500 up front. That's it. And then they have to finish their work before they get their next deposit. So Joshua Cahill, um, what we just talked, I just talked about is that, uh, Joshua, I'm going to let you answer this question for me. Remember I talked about Gary, J Gary, um, my lender. Patrick Brown. What's up, man? Hey, what's up, buddy? What up, bro? Do you got any questions about any of this stuff? No, I'm just, you know, on here just, uh, admiring your work as usual. Thank you. you know, I appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we're making the move down to Fort Worth with RJ. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the joint titanium, and uh, you know, we're kind of really excited about it. Cool. Good to hear. I'm gonna I'm gonna pop you off the screen. I thought you maybe had a live question, but I'm gonna pop you off the screen. And just have you hang yep. out in the backstage. So, um, Joshua Cahill. Cahill. Remember, I talked about my lender, Gary. My lender, Gary, do you remember the interest rate I told you? And then I also told you it was amortized. You might have just tuned in, so you might have missed that. Okay. Um, so my payment is $1,250 a month every single month. Every single month. Now, if it rents for $1,500, the cash flow. Okay, so let's check this out. My payment is 15, or I'm sorry, I receive $1,500 a month on a rent and I then pay $1,250. So technically I have a gross cash flow of $250 per month. Malcolm Finlayson, do you have a question for me live or are you just tuning in to, to watch it in the backstage? Give me a head nod if you have a live question. No, he does not. This is why I, I love it. All right, cool. Thank you so much. So this is a gross cash flow, guys, $250. Why is it gross? Well, because gross means it's yucky. You can't spend gross money, okay? That's yucky. Why do I go through this and why do I tell you this? Because somebody asked a really great question. He's the guy that I thought was maybe an engineer because it was an engineer-based question. But out of the $250 a month, we actually allocate, let's see, my rent is $1,500. I actually allocate about 15% of this rent to a safe Let's say, let's call it um, a safety account. I call it my war chest. This is what I teach my students. I call it my war chest. So this 15% of the rent needs to come out of my cash flow. Okay. My war chest is literally a bank account. Okay. It's a bank account full of cash. When something bad happens on a property, I have cash sitting in a bank account. That is what the war chest is for. Okay. So 15% of 1500. is $225 a month. So now, now let's have a conversation. How much am I actually cash flowing? My net cash flow on this property, if I decided to do a rental, Kevin Cho says, when should I make a bank account for real estate? Like today? 
I don't, there's no reason for you not to have a bank account today, Kevin Cho. Tell me, Kevin Cho, tell me why you wouldn't have a bank account. Is it just you haven't gotten around to setting it up yet? Or you're still working on your first deal, whatever. Let me know why. So guys, you see, does everybody, I want to see everybody in the comments understand how I got to $25 a month in net cash flow. Okay. And I'm going to tell you why we're doing this deal. Cause some people will be like, dude, why, why is Pace doing that deal? I thought Pace's average deal is $425 per month. Yeah, Kevin, it, it, starting a bank account does not make any difference. Like it doesn't cost you any money. Just go start a bank account. Okay. So what I've been telling people is I average about $425 per um, deal that I do. Okay. So why would I do a deal if it's only going to net $25 a month? Well, I'll tell you why. Anybody have a guess? Why would I do this deal? Why would Pace do this deal? Why would Pace raise $20,000, put the $20,000 into this deal and essentially cash flow $25 a month net. Now this is this money, this $25. I want to see I want to hear your guys's um thoughts on why I would do this deal. This $25 I can spend this money. That's actually net, right? Net is to me in my mind it's literal. Okay? So people have some really good answers in here. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. All of these are really good answers. All of these are really good answers. Okay, depreciation, mortgage pay down, um, depreciation, mortgage pay down, cookie jar money, depreciation, rents going up. All of that is really, really good. Those are really good answers. Okay, I'm going to give you guys multiple reasons why but nobody has actually touched on why. Nobody has touched on why I'm doing this deal. Actually, Levi Henderson just said, Levi Henderson just said it on YouTube. Okay, so um, number one, I'm gonna, I'll tell you why I'm doing it, but I'm gonna give you guys five, 10 other reasons why I'm doing this deal, okay? We're going to do 10 reasons why we're doing this deal, starting with number 10 going down. I have no money in the deal. My personal return on this is infinite. Okay, no matter what I do, I'm making money and, I, and, and all of that great stuff. Probably one of the biggest reasons why I'm doing the deal is, I'm going to do go number two, is because I get depreciation. Now, if you guys don't understand depreciation, we've talked about this. I'll probably bring this up as like a main topic. Maybe this will be next week's episode all about depreciation. We'll do that maybe as next week's episode, okay? So depreciation, long-term appreciation. The mortgage will pay down over time. Okay, so it's like a, this big, amazing um, secret savings account that just keeps growing and growing. It does cash flow today. Not a lot, but it does cash flow today. But it will cash flow more 
and more and more as time goes on, right? Especially with inflation coming down the pipe. Okay. I do have other things. I, I do have instant equity, which is cool. I have, let's see, somebody, a couple other people had some really good reasons why. No, Freddie H., I don't sell properties on wraps. Typically, I feel like that's kind of a beginner move. Um, I don't do that that often. Uh, I'm, I'm a real estate owner. I'm not, I don't want to be a lender. Lenders, I understand why a lot of people do it. A lot of my good buddies do it, but I still feel like it's just, you don't want to manage properties and you don't have a lot of cash. So you do wraps. We don't have that problem. So we don't do a lot of wraps, but the reality is all you set aside on wraps is less than 3%. Okay. Less than 3%. Um, Ooh, this was, a, this was a good one. Rohit had a really good one. So the, se the seller and us are going to be buying or selling properties back. In, I'm sorry, the seller is going to be selling multiple properties to us um, over a long period of time. So maintain the relationship. So good. Such a great um, observation. Really, really good. Um, da, da, da. Man, you guys got them all. Okay, then I ha I do get tax write-offs, not just my depreciation, but I get tax write-offs for repairs and other things along the way, okay? There's multiple other benefits. In fact, like three months ago, I believe we did um, the benefits of creative finance and I could go on and on. Like first off, I had no, I used no credit. Second off, I, did, I didn't have to apply whatsoever. I didn't have to show my proof of income or proof of, anything. I didn't have to show proof of anything for this deal. So I could go on and on and on and on why I did this deal. But the main reason I'm doing this deal, um, I can't remember who said it, but it was really great. Levi said it. Levi Henderson said it. And the reason why we're doing this deal is because we are not doing it as a rental. We are doing it as an Airbnb. So remember, when Cody and I underwrite a deal, Cody and I always underwrite a deal. First and foremost, we always underwrite a deal as it's going to be rented. Okay. Because you never know what can happen with legislation regarding um, Airbnbs. In fact, I was buying a property in Atlanta not too long ago, and I was worried that the Airbnbs in Atlanta were going to get thrown out. There was a whole bunch of conversations about that. And so you have to be aware that Airbnb laws can change. And so what you want to do, even though you are going to do it as an Airbnb, or you're going to do it as a wrap, or you're going to do it as a lease option, or you're going to do it as one of those other things, you really need to look at it as a rental worst case scenario. So if worst case scenario, I can net every single month, I can net $25 a month. I think I'm okay with this deal at $25 a month. Okay, I'm okay with it. Because of all these other benefits, tons and tons of benefits. Okay, by the way, how much time did it take me to do this deal? This is what's so crazy is that if I did this as the Burr strategy, one, I would have had to get a hard money loan to buy it. I don't have to get any hard money here. Two, I don't have the time frame is like immediately. 
I can buy this property property immediately because the seller is my bank. Immediate deal. Okay, immediate deal. Now, from an Airbnb standpoint, that is the coolest thing about this property. So now we know, we know that my total cost on this deal is going to essentially be $1,475 a month. That's my total cost, right? $1,475 a month. That is my total cost for it to be a rental. Now, what if my Airbnb, which I already know the ability to bring this property, what we can bring in with this property, this property will bring in about $5,600 a month. So let's go through that really quick. So now I know just the bare necessities. That's my cost to cover the deal. That includes everything, okay? That includes my payment to the lender. That includes my tax. That includes my insurance. That includes my HOA. That includes my private money lender's payment. And that even includes $250 every single month going into my war chest. That $1,475 a month includes all of that. Okay. All of it. Now, if I bring in $5,600 a month, I have an amazing Airbnb manager. His name is Noah Hoffman. Okay. Noah Hoffman will manage this Airbnb. I will not, he'll fly out there. He'll set it up. He'll get the utilities in his name. He'll take all of those utilities out. And then he will basically take all of this money. We'll go to Noah. Noah will take his management fee right off the top. It'll be about $560 a month because he's charging me 10%. So I'll have $560 taken off every single month. And then he'll end up having another miscellaneous, probably $1,000 of cleaning expenses, landscape expenses, you know, maybe, you know, wear and tear expenses above and beyond what a normal rental would be. So when you take this $1,475 plus the $1,000 plus the $560, now we know what our true cost is going to be with this particular exit strategy, okay? So let's do it. 560 plus our 1000 plus our 1475. So my total cost for an Airbnb model with management and all sorts of fluff is $3,035 a month. And when I take my $5600 income off of this thing, this property will actually cash flow roughly $2500 per month. Now, I could have underwritten that deal in like three minutes, but I wanted to make sure I walked through that with you guys to give you the information that you needed to understand that all the way through. Is there something you guys do not understand about this? Give me some information. Does anybody not understand this? Give me a question. Give me, give me something that I, I can go off of. Yeah, Noah is the man. Really, really appreciation the area. So Scott Barker, great question. Um, this is in the Phoenix area. We have great appreciation year over year, just about everywhere in this state. I'm sorry, everywhere in Maricopa County. Speaking of Airbnbs, I actually just bought a deal from Zach Shelley. You guys want to see a deal I just bought from Zach Shelley? Let's go through that. So um, does that make sense? 
Now I've, I've had some people ask me questions about, okay, so Jeff says, how would you pay off the private money lender sooner if you make that much? Yes, I would. So Jeff Engelbrecht, um, great question. Such a great question. So if I'm cash flowing that significantly, right? This is a great question, Jeff. I appreciate it. So if I'm cash flowing that significantly on this deal and I have $20,000 outstanding with a private money lender, my terms are five years with all of my lenders plus, plus, plus on my long-term deals. Meaning most of my lenders at the end of five years, they just go, hey, let's just do another five years. Hey, let's just do another five years. Hey, let's just do another five years. Okay. But let's say... um, Cody and I, this is actually what we do. We don't live on our cash flow necessarily because what we're doing with our cash flow is let's say this property is making $2,500 a month net. I can pay this, pro- this um, private money lender off in essentially 10 months, not even 10 months. What is that? It's like eight months. Yeah, I can pay this private money lender off in eight months. How cool is that? So in eight months, the net cash flow on my Airbnb is $2,500 a month. In eight months, I could pay that um, lender off. Or because I have a five-year term with this lender, I could accumulate this $2,500 and every eight months just go and buy another deal. Now, I prefer just to buy more deals, but it just depends on what our flow is, what lenders we have access to at that time. And ultimately, if I pay off this lender, Jeff, this money's just going to go into another deal anyway. Right? I'm not I'm not just buying one or two deals at a time. Guys, we're buying we're buying a deal a week. So if I'm buying a deal a week, then I need all the private money lending I can get my hands on. So paying off a private money lender is not necessarily a great idea. Um, are there times of the year when Airbnb is vacant? No, there's not times of the year where Airbnb is vacant, but Freddie, that's a great question. Because here in Phoenix, and I own Airbnbs in Atlanta and Airbnbs in Dallas as well, but let's say in January in Phoenix, man, it's hot. It's like blazing hot in January. No, I shouldn't say that. That's the wrong word because it is it's hot here in Phoenix. So January, February, March, April um, are really good months here. Then what happens is because it gets so stinking hot, May, June, July, August, September, these five months right here are actually very hot and our Airbnb slowed down because less and less people come here. Then it pops back up in October, November, December. Okay, so these are our big months. We make a ton of money in the, in those six, seven months. And then in some of our properties, we break even during these months because we have to lower our rent. But there's there's very rarely house or very rarely do I have a house that's vacant for more than one or two days at a time. Okay. How do you know it will be a good Airbnb? One of the best places to go for an Airbnb is to go to airdna.com. So let's go to airdna.com. So again, you guys can go to um, 
AirDNA. Anytime you get an address, go to AirDNA.com and you'll be able to determine if that's a good deal for you or not based on what it tells you it can make. Okay. Let's see here. We're going to go to, actually, this is kind of a cool thing. Let's go to Okay. Um, cool. If you were just one person without a team, how would you suggest finding deals? Man, this is such a common question. Um, did, do you aberrant art? I know that's not really your real name. I wish I knew your real name. Um, do you think that I started out with a team or do you realize that I had to start out on my own? I was on my own for two years. I was on my own, just me and my wife. There's only a couple of ways to find deals, guys. And we can talk about this all next week if you guys want us to. Um, but I, I, you got to understand one of the best thing or one of the most common questions I get is this exact question. How do I find deals? How do I find deals? You have to reach out to sellers. There's no way to do this business without reaching out to sellers. Now, you can squat up, like, like Zach said, if you're just brand new, right? You can squat up with people, meaning you can buy deals from other people. But if you want to control your destiny and you want to be in charge of your business, you have to market to sellers. Okay. You have to. Levi Henderson, we, we have been talking private money. We've been talking about, bro, I, I'm going to kick you out, bro. I'm sorry. I, I can't handle that, man. Later. Um, so. Great question. So a couple of good questions in here. Let me just go through the, the side chat. Okay. So Malcolm Finlayson. So you write into the loan that there is no prepayment penalty clause. Are you, uh, Malcolm, you're talking with the private money lender or with the seller finance deal? Um, either way, um, the answer is yes. There is no prepayment um, penalty whatsoever. So with the private money lender, the reality is this, like Malcolm, you're actually one of my private lenders. So great question that you've got right here. Sorry, I kicked, I kicked Levi out guys because he's sitting here saying, hey, let's talk about private money when the reality is we're talking about a deal and how a deal was structured utilizing private money. Like what more do you want me to talk about? I'm leading into getting you guys to understand how private money is, is used, okay? Um, ooh, great question. Hector says, does the private money lender have rights in the property. Absolutely zero rights. The private money lender has protection, but they have zero rights, meaning they can't just come and go because they're not the owner of the property. They're, they're a lender. Okay. The, they're a lender, not an owner. Now, Malcolm asks a really good question. When I'm writing the loan, there's two types of loans here. Okay. So this deal that we just talked about doing, what was the address? Let me remind myself of this address. The address is Wood Street. Got it. All right. So on Wood Street, there's two loans here. Okay. There's the seller finance deal. And the terms of that deal are 
with a five-year balloon. And that balloon will extend as long as I make my payments on time. Okay, if I make my payments on time, the, the seller will extend. Now, would I ever pay off this seller finance loan early? The answer is yes. Okay, if it's no, that means I'm just keeping the property. But yes, let's say I decided, hey man, this property has gone up. I could really pull that equity out and go buy five, six, seven deals with it. In that situation, no, I would have no prepayment penalty with this, with this lender who is my seller, seller financing the house to me. So no prepay, prepayment penalty. Same thing with my private lender. So the first loan in first position is with this um, seller, right? The seller's name is June. The person that's in second position, let's say that that seller is, or that person is Gary, and Gary's the one that give me, gives me the $20,000 at 8% interest. Gary does not, he does not have a prepayment penalty. And why doesn't he have a prepayment penalty? It's because he knows I'm going to, let's say I, re, I, I make that $2,500 a month on the cash flow for the Airbnb. And in an eight month time frame, I pay him off. Gary knows I'm just going to pay off that $20,000 and then I'm going to go into another deal and I'm going to say, Gary, I need that $20,000 again. Now, that can be a little bit annoying for a lender because what they really want is they just want a monthly check. They don't want to have over and over and over replenish their money, re-loan uh, re you the money, replenish the money, re-loan re the money. So many people have a common misconception here is that they think lenders want their money back. Lenders don't want their money back. Lenders want a safe return with somebody they can trust. And so the most annoying thing for them is what Malcolm pulled up is the prepayment penalty. They're like, Gary might say, dude, you're paying me off too frequently. This is annoying. I'm going to start charging you $500 every time I have to go to the bank, pull the money, rewire the money. It's annoying. Just keep the money in the deal. And that's ultimately what we're doing right now. Most of the way that we spend our money and our cash flow is we utilize that money to buy more deals. And the reason for that is because our lenders in our long-term deals do not care about being paid back right away. It's a different type of lender. They're not lending to us on a fix and flip, which you know I'd say 50% of my lenders are, are lending to me on a fix and flip. The fix and flip lenders are typically people who are, are um, you know, they don't have quite enough money or they have a lot of money, but they want to do it themselves. And so what they do is they'll come to me and they'll say, Pace, I want to learn how to fix and flip watching your team work. I want to be inside your world. And so they'll come to me and they'll loan to me and my team primarily on fix and flips just so they can learn how to do it themselves, which I am perfectly happy to teach them. Okay. Those lenders really want their money out for 30 90, 180 days max, and then they want their money turning over. So they feel like they're, um, they have control of their money every couple of months. And then they want to have the ability to re-lend that money out again. Hopefully that makes sense. Ooh, great question. So um, Tabit Speaks. I'm so sorry. I, I don't know how to pronounce your name. I apologize. So the question is, what's the highest you'd go on interest rates with sellers and lenders? Um, sellers. Um, 
Sellers, great question. Let's, let's go through that. The highest loan that I have right now with a seller, the highest we have is 5%. How many of those loans do I have? Maybe one or two. The majority of my loans with my sellers are in the 2% to 0% seller finance range. Okay. And I've, I've shown you guys a lot of this stuff. I'll, I'll show you guys another one here in just a second. This happens all the time. Let's see. 78th property. I pull up all the time. We bought this property not even a year ago. Okay. This is a property that I frequently talk about because it's crazy. A lot of people don't realize how many of these deals we buy where we get zero interest deals. Okay. So check this out. This is a note or a promissory note, right? A promise to pay or an IOU. We've covered this multiple times, guys. Bought it for $100,000 less than a year ago. The seller actually allowed me to seller finance. They seller finance my down payment. So I didn't even have to give them a down payment on the property until six months after I bought it. And then I still haven't even given them the other half of their down payment. And I've owned the property for a year. So what we've done is we've actually utilized the seller financing to get the deal done literally $0 out of pocket. Okay, zero dollars out of pocket. I did not give the seller a down payment until I owned the property for six months. This property cash flows, net cash flow around $1,000 a month. So I basically took that $6,000 I made for six months, paid that $5,000. Six months later, which we haven't even hit that yet, I will give them the other $5,000 down. So essentially, we bought this property with $0 out of pocket. This seller, seller financed this house to us. You guys can pull this house up. You can see I still own it. Um, and you can see that the sellers um, right here, Dale and Susan Poyer sold this property to us. Um, and guess what? Check out the interest rate right here. 0% interest. Okay. Most of the sellers that we buy deals from are 2 to 0%. And you can see that this deal will actually pay off in a matter of 20 years, not 30 years, because there's no interest. It'll pay off incredibly quickly. Okay. All right, cool. Let's go through some questions. So Amy says, does a private money lender need to be in a lean position on the deal you are purchasing? Or can it be a property that you own as long as they... Um, have collateral to protect their investment. So for me, um, we always do a lean position. We never want to take anybody's money without a lean position. So like Malcolm in the comments, you've got Malcolm and you see other lenders of mine in here as well. They always have a lean position. So um, when I buy a deal, Malcolm and his wife, Paula, what we do is we give a couple of things. First thing we do, is we have a promissory note. And that promissory note is actually secured against the property in the form of a deed of trust. So what happens is this property cannot be sold without Paula and Malcolm's explicit writing 
They have to have something notarized saying that I can do that, which means they have to be paid off first and foremost, right? They're not going to just say, yeah, go ahead, let Pace sell this property without getting the loan paid off. So they get paid off. The title company reaches out to Malcolm and Paula and says, hey, Malcolm and Paula, we need a lender payoff. We need to know what your total payoff is on this deal so that we can get you the money and then Pace has the ability to sell the property. So for us, always, 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 we protect our lenders with, um, yeah, Kevin Cho says, deed of trust versus mortgage, they are the same thing, right? Yes, they are the same thing. They are a debt instrument. They're there to lock the property into a debt. Um, and deed of trust and mortgage are exactly the same thing. It just depends on the state and um, well, the laws of the state. But think about them as essentially the same thing. So Rohit says, Malcolm Finlayson isn't the same thing um, as private money in use, except it comes from your own property and bank instead of private individuals. So I think Rohit is talking about getting a, um, uh, a line of credit against your property to do this kind of stuff. I personally don't do that kind of stuff. That's not a strategy of ours. You guys hear my baby crying? Sorry about that. She snuck into my studio. She it's basically bedtime for her, but she is, um, oh yeah. Facebook user says pay St. Plain tonight. Guys, anytime you get, somebody gets a little sassy in the comments, I've just learned just kick them out. Right. So sometimes you get guys that like, this is a free show, right? It's free show Sunday night. You guys are all here learning. It's taken me 10 years to learn a lot of this stuff. Um, and so I'm condensing my learning experience down and giving you guys value. And so when you get somebody like Levi, who's like, let's talk about private money lending, which what's funny is Levi was asking a question earlier, not related to private money lending, and then expects me to answer the question, but then also wants me to specifically talk only about private lending. I'm like, get out of here, man. This is a free flowing show. Levi Henderson, peace. Blocked from the show. Have a great life. Um, Yeah, this is crazy. I'm telling you, I, 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 I've been in masterminds. Like I've paid five, $10,000 for masterminds and they didn't give me this quality of information. Okay. Um, if, the, if the hard money lender wants to be in first position, is that a risk? Is it better if they were in second position? Um, so interesting. So let's talk about first and second positions really, really quick. So Jeanette, what a great question. So if I have a loan, a seller finance loan, right? right we talked about this. This is the house on Woods. The property address is Woods. The seller, June, is giving me a loan. I can tell you right now that this seller finance loan she will never allow herself to be in second position. She will always be in first position, which means what? It means that any money that I raise after June, June's the seller's name, not the month, any money I raise, $20,000, whatever, that has to automatically go into second position. So if you have a lender that says, I'm only willing to go into first position, 
then they're not a really good fit for you on a long-term buy and hold deal. Those lenders are only good for you on fix and flip situations, okay? So I do have lenders that are like that. I have lenders that are like, I don't want to be in first position. I don't want to be in second position. I want to be in first position. Most of them don't know the difference between the two. They just, somebody told them at some cocktail party that you shouldn't go into second position. Um, but every once in a while, you'll get a lender's like, I prefer to be in first position only until you prove out your success. And then I'll be willing to put some of my money in second position. So the reality is um, my lenders that go into second position, they, um, I, actually, I don't, have one, I don't have one lender right now that only wants to be in first position. I don't have one lender at this point. Most of them understand our track history and what we're doing. And if, we ever, if they ever have a question um, about a deal, we break it down. They go, oh yeah, this is a great deal. No matter what happens, this is a good deal, right? So um, yeah, sec second position means this. So let's say that I buy this property for anybody who doesn't understand first and second position. Let's say I buy this property for $250,000. June gives me a loan for $250,000 in first position. But in order for me to renovate, get the property um, up to snuff with an Airbnb, I have to raise another $20,000 to do that. So that person would be in second position. So what does that actually mean? What it means is let's say now I owe $270,000 in debt and the economy crashes. And I'm, an, I'm a horrible real estate investor because even if the economy crashes, I'm still able to rent out the property. Look at the rental history of Maricopa County over the last 50 years and most everywhere else in the country by simply Googling it. Look at it. Look at the rent rates when 2008 happened. Look at the rent rates when the pandemic happened. Look at the rent rates when 2000 um, or 9-11 happened. Every time we have an economic disaster in the United States, the rent rate actually takes an uptick. So even in a bad situation, I can rent out a property and I can still cash flow. So even if my value of this home, which I now owe 270 on, even if the value of the home goes to $50,000, what do I care? I bought this for long-term. I'm not buying this for a fix and flip. I bought this for long-term. So what do I care if it goes to $50,000? I don't. It's never on my radar how much money my houses are worth. What is on my radar is my ability to cash flow. So, but let's say hypothetically, the property value goes down, you know, market crashes and the house is now only worth $50,000. And I decide, man, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm going to sell this house. Well, dang. First and foremost, if the house is only worth $50,000, then let's say it sells for 50 grand. First and foremost, the lender who's in first position, June, she would just take the house back. Okay. She would take the house back. And then the second position lender would just keep a, um, would basically sue her and try and foreclose on the property. But they wouldn't get any money out of the deal because it's only worth 50. And let's say hypothetically that the house forecloses and the amount of money that we get is only $50,000. Where does that $50,000 go? Well, June had 250. My second lender had 20. Well, guess what? The only person that gets any of that money is June. And she would have lost $200,000 because she received the only $50,000. Now, what happens if what happens if she loans 250 and I get out of the property, let's say the house is no longer worth 270. 
right? Remember, I owe 270 on the house. Let's say the market goes down, I lose a little bit, and I end up selling the house for $254,000. Well, here's what happens. Out of that 254, June would get her money back. She'd be wiped clean. And then only $4,000 would go back to the second money, the second position lender. So that's the risk that um, a second position lender runs into is um, being in that position that if the market crashes and this lender sucks, I'm sorry, not the lender, but if the investor sucks, then the lender has the ability to lose money. And taking the step of lending the money with someone who is trust. Oh yeah, thank you, Malcolm. Yeah, I appreciate that. And we, we enjoy working with all of our lenders 100%. So thank you so much. Um, Aberrant Art. I've read the book on buying with low and low money down. The book on rental properties, the ABC of real estate investing, but I feel like I need to learn more. Any suggestions? Yeah, maybe Sunday service. I mean, most, most books that you're going to read are going to give you about six hours of um, reading or if you download an audiobook. But with Sunday service, we give you an hour and a half every single week about one specific topic, which is pretty cool. Um, Francisco Yasso says, so much info, info, kind of overwhelming. Francisco, throw some questions at me. I would love to know where I'm overwhelming. Really, really, really would lo love to know that. Kevin Cho says, and would you sell the property to cash them out or just pay them out of your war chest? Ooh. Mm. Okay, here we go. So is 90-day notice to cash out typical for lenders to get their money back? No, that's something I came up with because um, although I don't really have lenders ask for their money back, um, I have lenders ask me what if they wanted their money back. And the reality is I always have money available Number one, our own war chest, our own cash. Um, we typically have enough money on hand to basically pay off most of our lenders with our own cash. But the reality is we're using our own cash. So this is a great question. People wonder, where do you put your money? If you're not using your own money on your subject to and seller finance deals, and you're not using your own money to um, do your fix and flips because you're raising money for everything, where do you spend your money? Pace? You've got to be spending money. Well. We buy title companies. We build other businesses, right? Between Cody and I, we have about 12 active. Um, uh, Cody and I have about eight income streams together right now. I have 16. My goal is to be at 20 by the end of the year. So any capital that I make in my businesses, I take my living expenses, which are pretty small, and then I take my extra money. And instead of me funding my own deals, I take that money and I go buy other businesses or expand existing businesses because the challenge with working with private money lenders is that if you run, if you do a deal, Kevin, with a private money lender and it's real estate related, here's what's cool. They expect a percentage of return. Okay. So they, they're like, oh, I want a 10% return on my money, right? Which is a good return in this market. So they say, I want a 10% return on my money. And so let's say that I borrow $100,000 from a private money lender. That private money lender basically will make a $10,000 return. But they never owned the property. They never dictated what I did. They never actually went through and were my partner on the deal. So they couldn't just jump in and go, no, we're not going to do that. No, we're not going to do that. So there's really no control on their part, except that they have safety for sure. They're safe. They're secure. 
which is great. But why don't I use their money for going out and let's say buying a title company? Well, if I use their money to go buy a title company, they wouldn't want a return. They would want ownership. And so all of the money I use to go buy title companies or expand my other businesses is with my own cash because then I don't have to give up any ownership of the actual business. But in real estate, what's cool is that I can borrow money from them and give them a, a, a return because it's a finite or a set time frame that they'll get their money back. With the title company, I have no idea. Like that, That's more of an investment rather than a loan, if that makes sense. Uh, do I personally guarantee? Um, no, but I would. I would personally guarantee. I don't have any lenders that ask me for that, but um, I would not have a single problem with per doing a personal guarantee. That's a great question. Oh, great question. John Pham, I think is your name. Do you furnish the Airbnb and what's the cost on that? Yeah, actually, if you guys want, let me know. I would love to bring Noah Hoffman in here. Uh, Noah Hoffman is actually working on four of my Airbnbs right now. So here's what, here's what he does. Okay. I'll actually break this down for you. I, I have not looked at this email. I, I, have, to agree, I have to admit. Um, my bookkeeper actually looks at all this stuff. So we, we might as well look at, look at it together. Okay. So... No, let's look at Noah Hoffman. Let's see, Tony, Billing, da, 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 da. All right, so. Boom. So she says, this is a deal I'm buying, guys. 9618 Waterview Parkway in uh, Texas. Let's pull this up. Actually, I bought this deal from Zach Shelley. Zach Shelley should be uh, still here watching. But I bought the deal from Zach Shelley. Let's see here. Look at this property. Seller Finance. These are old photos. It's been cleaned up and it's on a golf course, pool. Look at this freaking Dallas beauty. Really awesome house. This was actually Zach Shelley's first seller finance deal. He assigned the deal to me. So anyway, we just, I think we just closed escrow on this. And so my plan is to turn this into an Airbnb. So Noah Hoffman emails Tony Counts. So Tony, Tony Counts, look at this. She sends me an email and she says, Hey, Noah's requesting $15,796 for the Dallas property to get started. Are you okay with this? So he sends her an email. You notice he didn't even email me. He only emailed her. Why? Because he understands how my business operates. Okay. He understands what we're trying to do. And he sends her the email and he, he breaks it out. So here's the cost. Everything. He breaks it all out. What we're doing. Total cost. I think he even explains. Let's see. I think he even covers like his flight cost, something like that. Truck rental. There we go. 
Yeah, check it out. So helper for setup, gas, flight. So check it out. He's got a flight, carpet cleaning, helper setup. So this is what's great about Noah. He'll actually fly out to my Airbnb. Check that out, guys. The guy flies around the country for me and sets up my Airbnbs. He's amazing. Goes and finds a helper, gets gas, gets a truck rental, washer dryer set, everything. He goes and gets everything for me. I don't have to deal with any of this. And then he actually furnishes the property. I have never been to this house, nor will I ever have to go to this house. Noah Hoffman would be an amazing guest. So quick REI, that $15,000, where does that come from? That comes from a private lender. All the money that I, I do. So the house that I just showed you, the Dallas house, that was a seller finance deal. So the seller financed the deal to me. No loan. Well, the seller gave me the loan, so I didn't have to qualify for anything. And we gave the seller, I think, 5% down. And then the all the money that I gave the seller, the money I paid Zach Shelley for the assignment fee, the closing costs, the Airbnb setup, everything, all of that comes from a private money lender. Everything, everything, everything comes from a private money lender. Yeah, I think that would actually be really cool to have him come in as a guest. Would you guys want Noah Hoffman to come in as a guest next week? Guys, was this over everybody's head? Um, so my exit strategy for the home in Dallas, as you, as you just saw, um, was an Airbnb. Remember, I'm having Noah Hoffman go out, fly out, and set it up. Yeah, Noah Hoffman's going out and flying and setting that up. All right, cool. I'll have what I'll do is I'll have him set that up. Yes. I yes, we own own title companies, yes. Um our plan is to buy four more title companies this year. What's cool about title companies is instead of me creating title companies, I buy them. They're already existing. They have personnel, they have operating procedures, they have money in the bank. Um, and what we do is we come in and buy them. And then what we um, ultimately do is help bolster them up and get them more clients and more uh, money coming in. So yeah, that's our, that's our goal is to buy more and more of those. Uh, will Ayarza, will you be flying out to pl be playing at the Airbnb? You know, I thought about it. I really wanted to go out to that, that uh, Airbnb, but I'm really trying to just build my business without me having to be involved. So you saw Noah Hoffman emailed Tony, my bookkeeper. He gets the money set up. No communication comes to me whatsoever. Tony runs everything and she just makes sure that the cash flow is coming in. And then her and I have two meetings every single month all about here's all of your assets. Here's your net worth. Here's what's working. Here's what's not working. And then she essentially manages all that kind of stuff. Um, what title company in Vegas? Um, Driggs Title. I own an Airbnb in um, Vegas. I bought that from a sub two student, actually. Cool. All right, guys. Um, sorry. I, I, we, uh, I'd actually, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go probably, I'm going to do one more week on private money lending because what I didn't get a chance to do, I did not get a chance to actually talk about where to find private money lenders because we've been talking about how to set them up, the structure of the terms and you know how I raise the capital to do certain deals. Um, so next week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do part three of raising private capital, but we're going to talk specifically about 
where to find them, what to say. And I might even have like Malcolm or one of my other private money lenders come on as a guest next week. And then what I'll do is I'll have Noah Hoffman come on the next week to talk about Airbnb. So um, anyway, guys, appreciate you. Thank you so much. Um, this was a good show. Even though Cody wasn't here, I basically talked for an hour and a half. I uh, appreciate all of you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. We'll talk all about raising private capital um, third week in a row.